0: Hey, listeners, we've got an awesome guest today. His name is Adam Klugman. He's an award-winning creative director and media strategist for clients like Nike, Disney, MGM, Hewlett-Packard. The list goes on and on. He's also a noted brand strategist and on-air personality. He's the program director for the studio at North Rim, and he's no stranger to the entertainment world. He grew up as the son of celebrities, and we get into it on this show about celebrity culture Narcissism and the state of our culture today. Please check them out at adamclugman.com, but not until after you listen to this show.
1: I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sonanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health. Or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this intimate, deep, funny, touching sometimes uncomfortable but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people the goal is to have you our listening family many of you who have become my good friends feel as though you are listening in on private conversations thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. we promised we would be cordial. Adam,
0: thank you so much for coming on my show.
2: Kristen, thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here.
0: Yeah, I am too. We we have excellent Not on-air conversations. So I'm excited that now we're going to have an excellent on-air conversation.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's cool. That's a good way of looking at it.
0: Exactly. So we met through the amazing, talented, wonderful human that is Frank King, the mental health comedian.
2: Love Frank King. Uh,
0: How do you know him? Because I'm curious, and I know our listeners will be too. How do you and Frank know each other?
2: Um. I know Frank through, uh, we have a, a, a friend in common named Kayla Victor, and she had been telling me for, I don't know, at least a year, you have to meet Frank, you have to meet Frank, you and I, are you guys are going to hit it off, you're going to hit it off right away, mm-hmm. and usually that's just the kiss of death, um, right, when somebody tells you that, oh, you got to meet this person, and then, and I, I'm assuming she was telling the same thing to him, but uh, <laughs> but it was not the kiss of death because she was dead right when we as soon as we met it was just instantaneous chemistry we just hit it off really well we understood each other i think it's because mm-hmm. you know he's a comedian and i grew up in that business and yeah and he builds has built his whole life around the business and when you when you when you've done that you have so much in common that's unspoken you know you just you 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 understand jokes you understand cues you 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 know you, you you get the same jokes you kind of have the same orientation and uh and frank's a funny guy and i love to laugh so uh <laughs> and, and i've been told that i can be funny from time to time well i know i'm i know i've done well when i make frank laugh because usually comedians <laughs> never laugh comedians usually just say oh yeah that's funny right
0: <laughs> i make frank yeah, laugh all they, the time so i mean i'm not trying to so, so i don't know if that's really a good sign <laughs> <laughs> but he does laugh, and I'm like, that's "Oh, good.
2: you can make Frank, you can make a comedian laugh. You're, you're officially funny." <laughs> that's the way I feel.
0: Not just funny looking. Got it. Got it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, not just funny looking.
0: Oh, uh, so that's how you and Frank met, which is awesome. And you know, it's so funny because I understand a smidge of what you have talked about in terms of how you grew up because I dated, uh, the son of Don Adams from get smart. So I was around, he was my first serious boyfriend and, and I, I hung around a lot at his house and, uh, had Hollywood, you know, where was at Hollywood parties and things like that. So it was really interesting to see (sighs) his take on what his life was like. I I loved him so much that I even went to his therapist.
2: (laughs) Wow. That is long.
0: Yeah. I mean. How
2: long did you guys date?
0: You know, we really didn't date very long. Uh, We only dated, maybe it was, maybe it was like nine months, but there were all these stretches in between because he was at private school, which was across the country. So I would see him on his breaks Um, So we'd have this very intense focused time together for a month or six weeks or two weeks, and then he would go back to school.
2: I would be interested in what your perception of that world was like, because I'm sure he and I had very, we could compare notes and and come up with a lot of uh, similar results. What what was your perception of it? I mean, I know you're doing the interviewing, but I'm always interested when (laughs) people who didn't grow up in that world find themselves in it. What was your impression of it?
0: I thought it was fascinating. I felt so bad for him because he would turn on the TV and see his dad and go, yep, that's how I see my dad. Hey, dad.
2: He didn't see his dad very often.
0: Not very often. And they lived, you know, his dad lived in Beverly Hills and so did he, but he was always away at school. Um, So, yeah, he didn't. it, It was very much actually the therapist who probably should have never said what he said, but talked about, you know, living in a vacuum and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, hmm. Yeah, I can, I can see that. It was a lot of superficiality, a lot of wanting, authentic conversations. Like if I would go to a party and there were whoever actors there that were famous at the time and some that are famous today, I would always end up in somebody's kitchen or in somebody's den having a one-on-one conversation with this person actor who was famous then and some of them that are famous now, um, talking about their life and their problems and their mental health. And Sean would be like coming in the room going, why do you always end up spe- <laughs> doing this? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm not trying. They just like hone in on me and we start having a conversation and then they're like, let's take this to the other room. And then nothing funny is going on. They're literally just talking, but they just like unload all their, you know, how much they hate their life and it's killing them this celebrity stuff and blah, 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 blah. So I thought that was fascinating. It seemed like a lot of people wanting so bad to have authenticity, but feeling like they can't have it in the shark infested waters of, of Hollywood. That's what it was anyway. Then.
2: I, I don't think a single thing has changed. Um, <laughs> since <then. laughs> um, and, and, and I, I mean, I know why you would always end up in those, in those, having those conversations. Cause I was kind of a, I, I too, I mean, I live in Portland, Oregon. I I was very wary of of that whole world because I too was trying to find something that was, uh, to use the over term word overused term, authentic. But there really, it really is hard to find something. Um, it, it, it's a world where you don't know who your friends are really, and yeah. you, because you don't know why they're your friends. Yeah. And and so it's a. a you're 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 looking for some kind of simple human connection that's going to reassure you that you're human and that 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 we can lower the bar of expectations on ourselves mm-hmm. in a way that 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 relieves the anxiety. I think that it's what, what what people are talking from when they were when you were having these conversations is the level of anxiety down there. There's yeah. there's it's one of the the things that attends that level of ambition so even if you just even if you're the son of somebody really famous uh, as i was um the, the whole value set is is you know you're kind of uh, either you're a winner or a loser. I mean, those were terms yes. that my dad just kind of unconsciously used. I mean, it, it, it was a very it's a very binary world. You know, you win or you lose. Yeah. And if you're on the losing end of that equation, it's quite soul crushing. And I think everybody lives on the edge of that anxiety of it's not just that I didn't my dreams didn't come true or I didn't get what I wanted uh, or I might not get what I want, which is what a lot of people live with. Um, I, I think that. If if I'm a loser and suddenly I, I'm I, it's dehumanizing. Yeah. As is living on the edge of that ambition. You know. Also being a winner yeah. because both of those are just objects. Yes. And, and, right. We become objects to ourselves. I'm a winner. I'm a loser. I'm successful. You know what it reminds
0: me of? It reminds me of social media. This it, is
2: for very, yeah. social
0: media, but it totally when I look at social media, Instagram, and all that kind of stuff today, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is what that world was like when i was a teenager it was just called hollywood it's now that's that's just translated out into you know what everybody can do when it comes to social media it's made it a bigger bubble of insecurity and anxiety and comparing your life and what is what is really success and there was a lot of um somebody's always bigger than you yeah like it doesn't matter if you are a multimillionaire, you are a hit TV show or you are in you know on every magazine cover and you are in this movie and that movie there's always somebody that's bigger than you. And so there's a lot of knocking you down stuff going on underneath that, so which I thought, "Oh god, that's soul crushing."
2: It's it is soul crushing and it, and it comes at a price. I'll tell you a very interesting story that that uh, I don't I don't know if I've told you this but it, but listeners might find it interesting too. So um, when my daughter was born, so so I, I kind of I was doing this kind of rapprochement with Hollywood. I wanted to be an actor. Then I left and I came back and I wanted to be a writer. And I and and I had talent in both of those instances, but. I just couldn't handle what was required to live in, in that environment mm-hmm. to, to survive. It just I, I found it instantly, so it was like a, I had a kryptonite kind of experience to it. You know, and mm-hmm. I was born on the 50 yard line, but mm-hmm. so so I, I but I kind of I was born on the 50 yard line and started running toward the exit. You know, right. um, and 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 knowing that the system was destructive and, and and I and I sometimes describe it as I you know I aspired to be condoned by a system I held in contempt. And and the reason I kept kind of coming back to that was because I didn't know if there was another way. Right? Well, if there's another way, I'd love to find it. But that was not certainly in in my quiver of options growing up. It was succeed or fail. You know, win or lose. So, and, and my father was was a very very driven, very ambitious person. And so when my daughter was born, first year or two, he saw the kind of father that I was. I was very attentive and. And, and, you know, he was also, so, so, so he kept saying for like the first year of my daughter's life, ah, oh, if I had it to do over again, I'd do it so differently. <laughs> and he kept saying that and he kept saying that. And finally I made the mistake of calling him on it. And Ooh. I said, well, why, why, why you keep saying that? I don't even know what that means. What, what, what exactly do you mean? And my father, who was a very intense man, looked me dead in the eye and said, I wouldn't compete with my children. And I went, whoa, wait a minute. Hold on. First of all, I'm sorry I asked you that question.
0: (laughs) That's 12 years uh, of therapy to unpack what you just said.
2: (laughs) Why I I would expect uh, anything but a really devastating answer to that question, I I don't know. I said, so so," "So wait a minute. Wait a minute, Dad. Let me get this clear. What do you mean? Were you competing with us? Were you competing with me and with my brother, David? He goes, not just you. It was your brother. It was your mother. It was anybody who I felt that I was obligated to that would get in the way of what I wanted. Mm. And I said, well, what, what, why are you bringing that up now? He goes, because I see the impact it had on you. And I see the way you are with your daughter. And it's different. Mm. I had to do it. he said, I would put you in the front seat. I always had you in the back seat of my life. And I would put you in the front seat and i i you know my because my dad was a very self, was a very self-aware person and um we we had we were able to have that conversation but i i felt like i understood something about my own upbringing that i had not gotten until he said that but it also seemed to characterize you know that business that town the the level of ambition that that is driven by narcissism so you get this yes. really toxic brew of, of it, it, ambition is not inherently unhealthy it 's kind of like money it 's not inherently bad right um, but if you take narcissism and you mix it into a brew, brew of ambition or rather ambition is driven by one 's narcissism, it will really inflame the narcissism and and the ambition and then it, and that 's where I feel you know there 's a parallel to what you were saying in the culture um, you know it, there 's this Everybody wants to become an influencer there's there, mm-hmm. there's this kind of famous for being famous on on social media and it seems easy and quick and and we get drawn into those that whole set of values as if somebody who really hasn't accomplished anything except fame itself has yes. somehow worthy of our attention and 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 able to opine and offer advice and and somehow has some inherent wisdom because they they worked social media properly, but there's nothing mm-hmm. underlying it I think that's what What's missing from our cultures—the sense of—but what did you accomplish aside from becoming famous? Right, exactly. The most it's like a it's like some kind of concentrated version of fame that's so toxic. I think it's really making people somewhat delirious.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. That yes, it it seemed like back then, you know, when I was around that, it was much more siloed. And now, I mean, it, it and it was much more siloed to get into the fame club. And now, like anybody can, I mean, my son pointed out, He's, I, I was saying, well, you know, these B-list or D-list somebody. And I wasn't saying that to be negative or to put anyone down. I was copying a, a term that um, someone had used. Uh, to describe the wherever somebody what level they're at as an actor or or a celebrity right. and my yeah. son said you know mom that those terms just don't exist anymore because now that quote unquote D list celebrity has millions of followers on social media they're not D list anymore right they have they may not be they may not get in the best movies or the best TV shows but they have this whole other World that they're a star. They are a star in. So those terms just don't fit anymore. And I thought, oh, that's a trip. That's true. And it's a trip.
2: It is. And it's a culture, I think, that's that's pretty that it's making the culture pretty toxic, I have to say. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think it's particularly healthy for us. As a culture, I recently revisited, uh, I saw it somewhere just online or somewhere, the, the Andy Warhol quote, you know, in the future, and he was talking from the 70s, everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. Um, and it seems so prophetic to me, not just, you know, we kind of bandy it about in a general way, like, yeah, famous for 15 minutes, you get your headline or you do something and there's my 15 minutes. But I think he was talking about something much deeper than 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 that. I think he was talking about a culture in which that if you got fame for everybody was going after fame, if you got it for 15 minutes, that, that, that was an accomplishment, right? That it, it's, it's total form without substance. And and I think that no one understood the power of that better than Andy Warhol. I think it's why he was attracted to, to yeah. wrestling. I mean, he exploited this form without substance. And I, I think social media is, is doing that. I see its impact on my daughter. I, I think it creates a, a lot of anxiety in people. Mm-hmm. Always comparing one's inside to someone else's outside, and that that was what I kept trying to reinforce with my daughter. I said, "You know, you're looking at some what at the surface of somebody's life and what they want you to see, mm-hmm. and you're comparing how you feel about yourself uh, in relationship to what you see about somebody else, and that, that is a really bad habit that will just lead to chronic." self-esteem issues and, and self-worth issues. Um, and she, and she's got them, you know, she's, she's, she's got them because I think she, she kind of came in, it seems with a fair amount of uh, social anxiety, but it's reinforced this. Oh. sense that I have this badness inside of me. I don't know what to do with. And I look at other people and their lives look so fabulous. Shiny and They fabulous. must not feel, have that badness and, and therefore they've beaten it. Uh, meanwhile, as a culture, we're not talking about what I think is a is a very pervasive feeling of badness that's yes. manifesting all over the place. Because you're living don't out of persona. anybody to talk about it? Pardon? Yeah,
0: you're living out of persona. I mean, it's why we have Jonathan Bertrand with his, uh, you know, the the triple conscious theory talking about social media and mental health because it's it's this state of uh, it's exactly what we're talking about Hollywood used to be siloed to just Hollywood. Now everybody can be Hollywood, maybe not in Hollywood, but in social media land, they've reached celebrity status and it's this (laughs) huge comparison to everybody else. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Hollywood world. Exactly. And it's, it's like, I'm so, I'm so glad, you know, when you get old enough, like I'm at an age now where I can look at every job I've ever had every experience I've ever had as a person and see why I had those experiences because they helped prepare me for what I'm doing now, which is my soul's purpose. Uh, so not that I wasn't always doing my soul's purpose. Cause we always are, we are a soul. We're here, we have a purpose, but I mean where I really feel aligned with it and, and Oh, and own it.
2: I boy, can I relate to that? I mean, I even at 55, in many ways, uh, you know, I'm being we're always very candid with each other, Kristen, mm-hmm. even though we've never met. And I really like that. Um, so I'll be candid and say, you know, I I am still in my own way searching for it. I've i have had a reasonably successful career and in and, and advertising, but I kind of fell into advertising because um, I was good at a lot of other things. Right. Um, and that's often the case with people in advertising. You have copywriters that wanted to be novelists or screenwriters or playwrights and you have, you know, visual, you have uh, graphic artists who wanted to be, you know, painters, and, you know, sculptors, and things like that, and so they they take that aptitude, and that skill, and talent, and apply it to advertising, because it pays well, and it's, and it's fun, and it beats a real job, and and on many, many days, not most, but many, Um, but I, I still, at my age, and and I've, tried and done a lot of things. I had a radio show, progressive talk show. That was pretty close at the time. It seemed very relevant. So, so I, I, I really admire that. And I, and I can, I hear it and feel it from you when I speak with you, that you found your soul's purpose and living Mm -hmm. from that is, is then I think what happens is when we do discover that, um, then, then our gift comes forward. Then, then, Then you don't really need fame. You Mm-mm. know, it's it, because don't if, you, you don't need that external validation because you're you sitting in your own inner power.
0: That's right. Oh, my gosh. I love the way you just said that. Yes. I, I hear it when Oprah talks and she says, I live at the center of my being. Right. That's where I live, too. I live oh. at the center of my being. And it's taken me to 49 years old to to live from there. I've been trying to get there for a long time. And now I live there and it's so awesome. It could, I could weep. (laughs) It's so awesome. And it took a long time. It took a long time and a lot of work and a lot of therapy. And I have to stay in therapy. I go every week and I work with one of our podcasters in Italy, who's a, um, you know psychotherapist and I do workshop I'm constantly working on myself because I have I want to stay here I, want, I don't I'm not going off of this path Uh, and those things like examining myself and my behavior and all those things help me stay here
2: they do you're right I mean I I, I think that that I couldn't agree more I mean if you're not working on yourself um If I'm not working on myself, my worst inclinations are taking over. And and I think that, you know, I I came out of that, of the the madness of of my childhood, which, you know, my mother was also famous. We used to call her a semi-name or she used to call herself a Mm semi-name. She was on a a show called Match Game, um, which was uh, a... kind of a game show Mm -hmm. where, you know, you match celebrities Uh, John and Jane jumped off Niagara Falls and John said, grab onto my blank. And then you would have to fill in the blank and match the celebrities. And really it was just like this really fun cocktail party that they would have every, you know, every two weeks. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I came out of that, and and I and I had a very and they're very intense people, and it was it was kind of like growing up in a you know in a giant in a Japanese monster movie. Do you know what I mean? Like wings flapping, giant personalities, and fire, and cities falling everywhere. You know, and I, I too, I w- I would have been with you at that party, saying I got to get out of here, right? Mm. i, I, I got to get out of here.
0: Well, I and, sat and there. I, I sat at the parties, fascinated. To me, it was like when I would go to. Uh, Scientology, my aunt was in Scientology, and I would go to a Scientology thing, or I would go to, and when I lived in Oklahoma, I would go to a very, uh, very, very, very old school, I don't want to say old school, a very charismatic Christian church, and I would look around, and I'd be like, is this real? Like, is this a move? This can't really be real. What is it? That's how I felt at those parties. I'd be like, is this... Is this real? Like, what is this? I looked at it like a sociological study, I guess, is what I'm saying. I didn't want to run. I wanted to sit and be like, wow, this is a trip. And I watched it like I was watching a documentary or something.
2: (laughs) That's good. I definitely would have been the subject of that documentary. I mean, when I was a teenager, (laughs) I was pretty wild. I mean, I definitely would have been one of the animals on the Serengeti um, because I was at 17 years old, I mean, it was the 70s, and <laughs> I was a the poster child for Hollywood brat. Mm. And I had my, you know, hair down to the middle of my back, and I was oh. doing drugs and had no supervision and completely out of control. Uh, yeah. And there was, there was, uh, there was no stopping me. And and I had a couple of experiences. Actually, I had one, one drug experience and uh, an LSD experience where I woke up. You know, I kind of I, I got it i woke up during when i was about 16 or 17 i woke up and and i just you know it just it happens i maybe i would have happened without the drugs but i just got lit you know and it's mm. just like oh i'm awake now i get it and then i looked at myself and i said you have a lot of work to do young man <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so i started to kind of pull myself out of it slowly and then i i i did and then um when i got out into the world i met the woman that i married to now we've been Married for 30 years, dating for, you know, nearly almost 40 or 36 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was on a mission to to make relationships work. I was on a mission to say that you know, mental and emotional health is possible. Right. Uh, you know, marriages can are meant to and can last if yes. if committed. And we stayed together all through our 20s in New York. Um, and but but I think that. I came out and, and I wanted to be an actor right? I, I, kind of because it was the only thing I had any talent for, to be frank at that point, point. and uh, it was my ticket out of being this train wreck that I had been when I was 17. Right. And, uh, and I got out into the world, and, and I, I, as I began to pursue acting, I, it was it kind of inflaming all of those narcissistic tendencies, right? right? Because the nature of being an actor is you've got to be thinking about yourself and your own ambition and the next part. And what you're going to do, and your headshots, and you know how you look, and did you have you put on weight? I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's inherently self-obsessive, and that was one of the reasons why I chose not to do it. Um, and uh, my my wife now, Nancy is her name, was was kind of really instrumental. She's a really solid, grounded, loving person, and she used to say things like, "I I, I know you had a very kind of interesting, weird childhood, but." You know, most people don't behave that way out here. Like in the world <laughs> out here, we don't we don't lose our temper in front of everybody and scream in rage. We, don't, we just don't. <laughs> right. We don't. I know they did that in your family, but most families that's not okay. And if you do that out here, you're going to embarrass yourself. I was like, oh really? Oh, I don't. Everybody behave <laughs> that way. You know, because when kids grow up, they grow up. They think the whole world's that way. I mean, they don't oh. have any reason to think that, that anybody out there is not doing that. So it was. It was uh, it's been an interesting. And so even though I've, I've, I've been very ambitious in many ways and not – so I was always in this kind of inner conflict where I was kind of assailing the system that I held in contempt, seeing if there was some way I couldn't comport my purpose, this deeper sense of, of purpose that I felt around, around social transformation, around personal transformation. How could, I, how could I comport that to various different forms that were familiar, that were in my talent? wheelhouse right Um, I just I wasn't able ever able to kind of make that work because I think I have a kind of an allergic reaction to that to that business because of what it does to individuals um, and how it tends to bring out our our really our our worst tendencies
0: yeah I mean I when I would be sitting in front of someone that you know you can't help I think that's where stories about vampires were created in some ways. This person that is so attractive physically that you just go fall into a trance, just sitting there having a conversation with them. And what I found fascinating is in the midst of the conversation with them, they would start showing me who they really are. And it would either make me Think they're even more incredible and beautiful because of who they are, or it would make me go, "Oh my God, this oh, person is horrible.
2: <laughs> they are—they are now
0: the <laughs> ugliest person I have ever seen in my life." Oh, yeah. it was one or the other, and I found that completely fascinating.
2: <laughs> that's really that—that that is an interesting experience. Um, yeah, this outer beauty versus this inner ugliness. Yeah. Um, and even even the people who are who are beautiful outside this inner ugliness can sometimes it takes two two forms that I've seen in, in the culture not just in in you know in Hollywood I just think it's more intensified it's it either it either attacks others or it's self attack yeah you know um, and I, I kind of grew up in the latter you know mm-hmm. I didn't want to hurt others. So I, I would kind of retroflect all of that confusion and rage and uncertainty and ambivalence about this whole model of winners and losers and mm-hmm. success and failure and feeling like, well, isn't there's got to be some other way. I, <laughs> none of this just feels instinctively right. Yeah. Um, so uh, I did my best in my life to make choices where I was able to have a successful career and do lots of interesting things uh, but not at the expense of my humanity. Um, yeah. and, or, or, or and I think the key element here is empathy. Yes. Um, you know the, the empathy is the thing that connects us. And and if if my life is all about me and my personal ambitions, and uh, then then I'm not I'm not really available to empathy. So we we end up living yeah. in these 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 bodies become silos that are disconnected, and I think we see, can see symptoms of that all, all over Call the world. Over. I, mean, I, I want to get a, a bumper sticker, that, you know, that, um, that's, you know, reinstate human empathy, like, <laughs> we we need that now, and, and I guess I always felt that, boy, the world didn't need another celebrity, it didn't need another, you know, famous person to lead it or guide it or whatever famous mm-hmm. people do for us. Um, I've always been trying to search for some other, or whatever I did to try to, try to, at least weave something of of our best human qualities into it because I th- think we've lost sight of those.
0: I, I agree. What you let me ask you this, because I always find this fascinating and this is something fascinating especially to me now. How about that there's this idea amongst many, many people, especially in Western society, that that celebrities, someone who's reached celebrity status, and that which now just isn't just Hollywood, okay, is that they're somehow special. They are better than because of what they've achieved in terms of this celebrity. And even, you know, a Tony Robbins or, you know, that isn't an actor but is successful, his determination of success um He's successful in his life. And I always think, what is that thing that we sit back and look at someone and what they've achieved uh, what kind of status they have. And we think that they have something that we don't have. And also that what they have is better. Yeah. Cause I look at it like it is none of my business. What Oprah does or what Ellen DeGeneres does or what, the Dalai Lama does or what it's none of my business. That is their soul's path. Uh They are not better. They have not reached some state that makes them better because of their well-knownness or their money or their looks or whatever. They're not better than anybody else. They're just on that path and you are on your path. And this whole thinking that they got something that you don't have um, is such faulty thinking because it's just simply not true.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that there's uh, absolutely. And I certainly have suffered uh, suffer that myself because I grew up in it. So because I grew up in a, in a kind of a, a binary paradigm of winners mm-hmm. and losers and yeah. people who succeeded and people who failed and that, that the absence of success is, is somehow a failure
0: um the definition of success is
2: the failure here right I I think that we're we don't we don't have we've lost our way uh in this culture certainly Mm -hmm. I think um because it goes back to a little bit of what 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 you were saying earlier you you found your life's purpose and 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 when we really connect to that and as I said in many ways, I mean, I've hit it. In my, I'm still looking for it, right? Um, but, but when we connect with that, suddenly all, all the, the, the those kinds of comparisons go away. There, right. It's a completely different feeling, tone, mm-hmm. and and we that than this. Uh, am I successful? Uh, am I a failure? And and I think, or, or am I a winner or a loser? And and so that there's when we get stuck in that. Either way, there's there's this this inherent not enoughness that follows us around because ultimately what I think what we're supposed to be doing is connecting with our life's purpose. Now, in the case of my father, he was kind of archetypally an actor, right? Mm-hmm. That was his. So in many ways he had found it. I mean, he grew up, he was right. a poor kid in South Philadelphia, go to bed hungry every night kind of poor during the depression surrounded by when he told people he wanted to be an actor They laughed at him, you know, and so he never told anybody. So, so that he got out, and in the getting out, found he found he connected with his purpose, which is why he didn't really, even though it affected, it made him terribly ambitious because he was fleeing something painful. Mm -hmm. He was fleeing his past, and acting was his ticket out of a very painful upbringing, and. I think he just overran. You know what I mean? He right. started running. He saw the exit. He was well past the exit, and he just kept running. You know, um, and and fame is a, is very intoxicating too. So, yes. So, but ultimately, you know, he he would he was an actor, kind of in that, as we the you say, in his kishkas, in his guts. <laughs> um, it was w- what made him up, and and it was very fulfilling. And and he lit led, led for the most part a pretty balanced life within the madness of that whole swirl, which is which is not something that's easy to do. So, and he was a very grounded guy. Um, but I, I I think that for the most part, we've lost our way. And I wish that what we were learning in school and what we were teaching our children in school was was this uh, a query that said, well, w- w- just get asked, what do you think your life's purpose is? Not what do you want to be, as if there's something out there, it, right. We don't do enough right internal, here. internal listening.
0: Yeah, it's right here in the center of yourself. You have to go within. it. Yeah, exactly. You have to go within to find it and call it out. But it's there. It's always there. You didn't lose it. You know, it's your badness, quote unquote, that's, you know, inside. It doesn't t- erase that Your badness, quote unquote, is part of what helps you get there and find
2: it. If you're willing. Yes, I couldn't agree more. If you're willing to. investigate it if you're willing to query that bad feeling long enough yeah and say okay where where are you leading me that madness just just beneath it there's a a michael mead you know michael mead is
0: no i do not
2: interesting really interesting guy wrote a book called the genius myth and talks he's like an encyclopedia of myth and he he uses mythologies various mythologies from around the world and throughout history as a way to create you know productive dialogues with groups or with individuals about how to be more human and one of the myths i don't remember the myth but i do remember the the moral of the myth or the the lesson of the myth is that the the gift is and the wound are right next to each other right so that yes. you know you had said that you'd gone through a really hard period when you were putting these podcasts together and oh, and you. and but but when we have the courage to kind of really investigate the wound Mm -hmm. it leads to the gift
0: that's right that's your that's your pain yeah exactly we want to anesthetize ourselves from the very things that give us our gift or that not give us our gift because our gift is always there but we want to anesthetize us from the actions that help us discover our gift and it's like we're constantly going in the wrong direction, and yet um, that's part of the that's part of the journey. That's part of the journey. So there really is no wrong, you know, direction. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I do not look at things anymore as failures or mistakes. Or I I look at things like, well, that was a misstep. I wonder what the lesson is. So I'm not like berating myself for face planting, which I do often. I'm more like, huh, well, what was I supposed to learn about that? That was interesting. A little embarrassing, maybe a lot of, a lot of embarrassing, but what, what's the gift? I had a therapist always say, what's the pony in this for you with some of my behavior? <laughs> like getting me to realize you're the one that's doing this shit, so uh, what's, the, right. what's the pony? And I was like, hmm, are you asking me to be fully accountable for myself and my behavior? I don't think I'm ready to do that. Well, I
2: need to find another therapist then because that's, that's bullshit. <laughs> exactly.
0: You don't know what you're talking about. I'm out.
2: Yeah. Oh, I can relate to that. Uh, um, I, I yeah, I, I just I don't know any other way to live and and uh whenever I engage uh in too much I'm very mistrustful of of my own ambitions and I can get very carried away um <laughs> and have in, in the past and 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 the lesson that the, the gift, the pony that I keep coming back to is it, if you're just not, an, if you don't start with enough, right. So the, 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 the opposite of the badness would be maybe be enoughness. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I don't, if I start with a deficit, right. And I worked in advertising and I. You know, I, I, I bet there's some weird irony in that. But, you know, basically all all of advertising is about I have to sell you the problem before I can sell you the solution. Right. Mm-hmm. So a really good example is uh, of this is cold and flu season. There really is no such thing, just like there's no such thing as Father's Day, Mother's Day. Right. These are <laughs> these are things that are invented,
0: invented. concepts. Yeah.
2: There really isn't any evidence to suggest that people get colds. Mo- that much more frequently in, you know, from November to February than they do from, you know, June to September. Right. Mm-hmm. So I've got this, I'm not selling you cold medicine. I've got to sell you the cold. I've got <laughs> to sell you the problem. And so the whole, you know, it's, it's capitalism in order for me to sell you something, you have to need it. And so in order to get you to need it, I have to sell you that you have a problem. So to my point is if I'm operating from enoughness, right, as opposed to badness, not enoughness, operating with a, from a problem and a deficit. I'm, I'm much more likely to be fulfilled in whatever I do because it will be right-sized. But if I'm operating from badness, from a deficit, which is, uh, which I think a lot of people do, yes. um, I'll never, you'll never fill it, you'll never find it. You know, you, it, it might feel good when you get pieces of it, but but, if that badness itself, if that not enoughness isn't really investigated and and becomes and enough to the point where enoughness, like in where I see you are, in your life, where enoughness is the point of departure for your living, then then all kinds of different things start to come your way. Um, yeah. It's much more attractive, and and for someone like me who's struggled with that that badness on and off, it's 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 hard for me to get to enoughness and to live from it. I can talk about it, I can describe it, because I've been doing battle with it for 30 years, right? <laughs>
0: um,
2: but I, I think that's the goal for me to live from a sense of enoughness, a, yeah. a sense of my own inherent worth. I don't need to do anything to deserve it or to earn it, you know. Right. Um, we have it by the nature that we're created, and whatever created us, created us from love, and that love starts with, I love you the way you are, created you right. the way you're, and then the culture steps in and says, oh, no, 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 that's mm-hmm. that, that, that's terribly threatening. You'll just you go off in all kinds of crazy directions. <laughs> Um, no, you it need might a
0: create peace and harmony in the world. We can't have none of that.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, that's why those concepts are so radical and so threatening to people. Right? No, we can't have that. That would screw everything problem. up. We got this whole system going over here. But I think that there, that idea has got to be coming. That modality is more than an idea. That it way is. Of it being. is. That's why it's mental coming.
0: health is, is popular now. And I think that's why I'm such a good... "Quote unquote salesperson," because I'm not selling you a deficit. What I what I want for everybody is for them to l- operate from that place that is the center of their being. That's all I want for everybody. So when I'm selling a podcast or I'm selling to an advertiser or whatever. I'm what, what is there not juicy, wonderful, amazing about a bunch of people operating from the center of their being who wouldn't want to be a part of that. It's easy. It's like, I'm selling, uh, you know, diamonds all the time because these diamonds are these people. Mm. And, and so I'm like, Oh my God. And so like, I hear you talking about, you know, what you're chasing, quote unquote, or what you're still trying to find. And I immediately hone in and go, he already has it. I can totally see it. I want to help him see it too. That's like a goal in my life. What a great, (laughs) what a great thing to be someone that wants that for other people. So I go to bed every night feeling like I could die in the next moment and I will have zero regrets and I will absolutely feel like I Already have done what I came here to do. Everything else after this moment is gravy,
2: you know? Yeah, what a wonderful place to live from.
0: But I came from feeling like I hated myself. (laughs) So it's not like I was born and went. Everything's great. It took 49 years of hell to find
2: here. And here was always here. And I think this conversation has, has implications for the culture at large. Yes. yes. Because I think I think we're we're I think we're a culture. I mean, if you just look at the available evidence, you would say that this is a culture that's that's devouring itself on many different mm-hmm. levels. Mm-hmm. You know, not just the terrible president. Right. Um, he's just a symptom of. Uh, yes. If we didn't hate ourselves, we wouldn't elect somebody like this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I, I saw this great exchange between. William F. Buckley and, and James Baldwin. Uh, this is back back in the day during a debate, you know, when they used to actually have, like, great intellectual debates in this right. country.
0: Orators and, oh, yeah.
2: Mm. And, uh, you know, William F. Buckley was, you know, a, attacking... James not attacking, but, you know, debating James Baldwin and he said, well, you know, what would you say? I mean, when, when, when the Jews, I mean, you know, you talk about the African-American condition in this country and, and, you know, you talk about the Jews and when you, what the Jews were, you know, put in slums in Venice and they turned it into the most fashionable area. I mean, why, why would you, say, why, why is it different for the African-American, you know, the black community here in America? And James Baldwin didn't miss a beat. He said, well, <laughs> because we hate ourselves, of course. And Mass Buckley just had no response. Like we've been taught to hate ourselves. We were brought over here on ships. We were told that we weren't human. What, mm-hmm. what? What are you talking about? Like how could you even ask that question? And and I I think that in this culture, across race and uh, and, and and ethnicity and and Gender. social class and financial classes, we uniformly. Uh, carry this feeling of self loathing, of not right. enoughness, of, right. of badness, and, and, I, and, and, there's and nothing I, I don't mean wrong...
0: to, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that either. Like, it, it's there's nothing wrong with carrying that because that's part of the journey. If we, if we really are not, if there are no mistakes, uh, every step, our president, our what's happening in our culture, da, 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 all those things. I have such hope because I know that all these things need to be going on because that's how we evolve from the muck. We evolve from uh-huh. the muck constantly. So none of this, like my friends that get so upset about Trump or they get upset about Hillary Clinton or whatever, whatever side of the fence that they're on politically or about anything, they're so upset uh-huh. and they're so focused on the point that they're trying to make. And they're not looking at the hundred thousand foot view of, Maybe we we're all on this chessboard and we're being moved. And this person comes in and this person signed up to do this seeming evil, and it was meant to help us evolve. That means there's nothing wrong with it.
2: Right. Just like why would the why would the the group consciousness, the the, the world consciousness, operate on any different kind of Lost than the individual, which is right. we make mistakes, we feel pain, we, we hurt ourselves, sometimes we hurt others, and, and we're called to get the lesson from that so that we can evolve, that, yep. and that the crisis in our lives, when we hit bottom, and I, I think as a culture, we're, 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 we're darn close, um, when we hit bottom, uh, then that's an opportunity to say, well, everything I know right now is wrong, because it didn't work, what, what might work? you know and I think so for those of us and that's where I begin to hone in a little bit more on on what I would say my soul's purpose is I, I used to be one of those kind of hard hitting thumping liberal progressive guys I had a <laughs> radio show called Mad as Hell in America up here and um you know and name. recently uh, when I came into possession of the podcast studio and started running it you know people were like oh you should do your show again and I said I, I don't I don't want to get up there and do that anymore I don't. Mm-hmm. That, that's not where we're at as a culture. Um, what we need is to find a way there's kind of a rent in the soul of the world. And yes. and I totally agree with your logic that, that 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 rent is a call for us to repair. And yes. in the repair, we will evolve.
0: Exactly. Um, and, and hint, hint, listeners, hint, hint. He's going to have a show, hint, hint, on the network. <laughs> where we talk about these things that he's talking about right now, which is Freaking awesome. Because that, my friend, is your soul's <laughs> purpose.
2: I think you're probably <laughs> you right. I already think- are
0: doing it. These <laughs> conversations, you've already been doing it. Yes, uh, I think that's true. But people like to have the chase. And what I think you have to get to a point where you drop the rope, you stop chasing, and then you're just in it. And you're like, oh, I've been here all along. I just didn't realize it. I can relax now because I think people think, and I see this too with people that you know have um, depression, and I had this too, uh, where I was like, oh, I don't want to take any depressants because they're gonna get rid of my creativity. That is such a right. big deal, and I'm like, that is so BS because <laughs> you get on the right medication, and you. Operate from you firing on all cylinders that you can't because, you know, your dopamine and your serotonin goes and flushes out of your system faster than anyone else. Well, great. There's medication that can help that not happen. And you don't lose your creative touch because of that. Once you get on the right kind you actually become more of who you are, but that is what people are inherently afraid of. So they make up excuses like, I'm not going to take my medication because, you know, it makes me less creative. That's an excuse.
2: Yeah. I, I think my brother is a psychoanalyst and um, he, you know, he doesn't prescribe meds, but you know, he'll refer out people that he thinks need to take them. And, and, and he's taken them himself over the course of his life. And, and he describes it as, you know, you know, it gets the log off your leg you know that that there's this there's this tremendous pressure and pain this badness that that we're talking a little bit about that that's that has a chemical component
1: mm-hmm. and
2: it and it relieves that pressure so that you can feel yourself again yes and you do have a more authentic experience of yourself because you know you're not that pain that's that, right that pain is not that that depression that chronic anxiety is actually Keeping me from accessing who I actually am, right and uh, so i really I really agree that with you that that it should and will liberate you from the pain so you can be more creative, so you can get in there and have this this work on the self that's being done to be more productive,
0: exactly, and then you get to a place maybe, maybe you know I, I may have to take antidepressants again. Come winter, because sometimes I go, I, you know, uh, seasonal affective disorder has definitely affected me. But right now, I don't need antidepressants. Um, I, I forget to take them. And it's been quite a while that I've forgotten, you know, to take them because I've done so much work on myself. And I did yeah. take them for a long time. And I know what to eat to help with serotonin and dopamine. And I know what not to do that I I can Go without taking them for a while and the freedom is if I start feeling myself go to that place that I where you know I start feeling really bad okay I have no problem opening up that wonderful amazing uh, bottle of Pristique and putting a pill in my mouth and <laughs> and you know not going to the depths of hell <laughs> Right.
2: <laughs> right
0: awesome right. It's like it's you good. gotta come this full circle thing and 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 that for some people they absolutely cannot ever not take it um you know
2: uh, and that's my mother was too. one of those people that changed her life I mean she was my mother was really really struggled with depression and she used to I told you she did this match game this show where she had to be funny and um I recently met a woman who uh, was right in the middle of a very difficult period of menopause, and I recognized th- that oh, that was where my mother was at when I was you know like 12 or 13 or something like that, and um, and my father left left my mother right in the middle of that of of that you know searing menopause that some women that just is so painful and and she would I would hear her in the morning she would just she would be in sobbing in her room and then come out at about three o'clock because she had to go do a match game. And she'd right. come out wearing her big dark glasses and her face would be all puffy. And you know, from having cried all morning long, I could literally hear her behind the door mm. and she'd say, I have to go be funny now. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how you're going to do that, but uh, mm. okay, good luck to you. Um, and then finally, yeah. you know, I think she had always struggled with depression and then when the divorce hit, she never really recovered. And then she she was one of the first people I knew. This was like, I don't know, maybe the mid 90s, early 90s. I mean, when they were just starting to Prozac, prescribe. Prozac. Um, yeah. Prozac. And uh, she never didn't take it. And it changed her right. life. I mean, yep. It changed her life.
0: I bet a lot of things that were so important became completely unimportant when you're operating from. A a chemically and emotionally balanced place with the aid of medication. That's what it's there for. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's incredible. Well. Okay, because we could go on.
2: Yes, <laughs> so we could. We are going to. We did it again. We had it. We did. I'm glad we were recording it because we are always having wonderful conversations.
0: I know. I'm always it like, I like like should have recorded that. Yeah, but we'll have more. That's the great part. We will have yes. more, and we are going to uh, do a 15 minute recap, which probably will be longer than 15 minutes, but we'll try to keep it at 15 minutes. Uh, recap filmed after show that we'll put up on YouTube. So listeners, please go to Mental Health News Radio Network's YouTube channel or uh, watch us on Roku or Apple TV, Sony TV, all those places, because we have a smart TV channel. You can download the app. It's called Binge Network, and uh, you can watch this. uh, You can hear our podcast there, and you can also watch our after shows there, too. Adam is going to join me there. And um, Adam, tell our listeners if they want to find out more about you. Where would they go?
2: <laughs> it's a really good question. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I you can go to uh, I did uh, I do public speaking um, on branding, uh, so you can go to adamclugman.com. Com
0: and you can go. find
2: out more about me. You can see some of how I talk about. It. I kind of took this model of branding uh, that we use in advertising and saying we can use these principles t- to begin to. Un- discover our own brand, our own value, and connect that to our mission and sense of purpose. So it's kind of an interesting speech that I do from time to time. And, and uh, that'll, that, that, that's a good place to start.
0: And how awesome is it for, talk about living in the flow, how awesome is it for this network to have someone with your talent want to be a part of what we're doing? Like how lucky are we that now we oh. have someone who knows what you know and mm. can go, Hey, Kristen, what about this? What about that? Did I, I mean, that's living in the flow. My
2: friend, uh, you attract that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attribute that to you. You attract. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, so do you. Yeah. Cause here I am knocking on your door always. So yeah, like <laughs> attracts like. So awesome. Well, Adam, thank you. We're going to pop over to our after show. Thank you listeners. Um, and, uh,
1: Surprised when I don't hate on you girl. After all we promised We'd be cordial Sometimes in you oh, I can fight it Good boy